Welcome to the Not Old Better Show. I'm your host, Paul Vogelsang, and this is show number 390. As part of our Smithsonian Associates Art of Living series, we're speaking today with Carol Ann Lloyd-Stanger. Carol Ann Lloyd-Stanger is a returning guest and Not Old Better Show audience favorite, and today's show is going to be extra wonderful. I say extra wonderful for a reason. Carol Ann Lloyd-Stanger joins us today to talk about Jane Austen, Queen Victoria, and global travel. Now, before you try to solve the, are all these connected mystery? Let me tell you the connection is, of course, Carol Ann Lloyd-Stanger and the sheer number of Smithsonian activities in her upcoming schedule. First, we'll talk with Carol Ann Lloyd-Stanger about Jane Austen and her Regency world. We'll answer the question about what is a Regency world and discuss the fact that the Prince Regent was at the heart of many contradictions in 1800 England. All this will be seen through the eyes of Jane Austen in her novels. Carol Ann Lloyd-Stanger provides fans of Austen added insight into the characters and their lives and aficionados of history with the details and dramas that made this one of the most fascinating eras in England. Next, and regarding Queen Victoria, we will talk with Carol Ann Lloyd-Stanger to answer the questions about how the 18-year-old Victoria came to the throne to rule in England on the brink of industrial expansion, economic progress, and the establishment of the British Empire. And how could a young woman with no experience or training in governance rule a troubled nation through turbulent times? More? Yes, absolutely. And I'll let Carol Ann Lloyd-Stanger herself describe her big reveal and her big travel announcements. Joining us here on the Not Old Better Show with lots to discuss. Carol Ann Lloyd-Stanger, thanks so much for joining the program today. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course, you are a longtime favorite of our audience, absolutely. Been here with us a couple of times before. We've got quite a few things we're going to talk about today. I'm, I'm very excited about that. I know our <laughs> audience will be, but you've got an upcoming Smithsonian presentation, one following that, then some interesting news to share with us. So I, I just want to just jump right in, if that's okay with you, Carol Ann. But, but why don't you tell us about the most immediate, upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation. I think that'll be a good place for us to start today. Okay. Well, next week, well, we are meeting to discuss the Regency world seen through the novels of Jane Austen. That's next Wednesday on the 16th in the evening. And what we'll be doing is looking at some of the specific markers of Regency England some of the themes of the time, some of the big events of the time, and how those play into Jane Austen's life and her novels. Sometimes her novels are described as being a little bit removed from the world around them. But if you know what you're looking for, you can see um, some of the sort of not maybe the war of battle, but you can see the underlying war reverberating through her novels. You can see some discomfort with what's happening in society. You can see some questioning of roles and laws. So you can 
see some of that playing out in her novels. So that's what we'll be looking at. Good. Well, that'll be a good one. We're, of course, going to get this interview with you out immediately so people can know about what's coming up. You use this really interesting term that maybe our audience is going to wonder about a little bit. I, I have wondered about it, and that's this Regency world. There's also a term that you use called Prince Regent. That's important here. So what what is the Prince Regent? And maybe define a little bit about this this term you use, Regency world. That, that'll be helpful. Okay. Well, that's, that's a really good question. I think sometimes in the United States, we lose a little tiny bit of the connection of the time period when Jane Austen is living and writing. So she was born in 1775, which is as the American Revolution is beginning. And of course, the King of England is George III. Now, George III is sort of the villain in our story, but as far as English kings named George during that period of time, he was not too bad. But later in his life, he succumbed to a very serious mental illness and, in fact, became unable to reign. This is a period of time where England was involved in many wars and there were a lot of battles between Parliament and the monarchy about who had the most power. So to have a king that was incapacitated would not do. So the eldest son of George III became the prince regent. In other words, he was authorized to act as the king, even though his father was still alive. And for about 10 years, that was the case. He ruled as prince regent. The time was called the regency. And then when George III ultimately did pass away in 1820, his son then became King George IV. But that period of about 10 years, from 1811 to 1820, is called the Regency because the prince is ruling as king or as regent. So helpful. It's great to know these facts and these details because I think that's what captures us about the monarchy. But I think mm-hmm. when you mentioned Jane Austen, there's something we all love about the Jane Austen novels too. And so tell us what, what that is in your opinion. What, what is it that so, mu- so many of us love about Jane Austen? Well, I think one of the things she does, so this is, this is a time of chaos in England. There's the American Revolution. There are these Napoleonic Wars going on. And yet Jane Austen is able to capture family and personal lives and friendship and courtship in ways that reverberate now, 200 years later, just as powerfully and as personally as they did at her time. She had a clarity in looking at human relationships that just continues. And I ran across an article by Karen Trudeau that says a couple of things about the Jane Austen heroines, the reason she thinks that these characters like Elizabeth Bennet or Emma, that they've lasted so long. And she says, these are not the airbrushed perfection of a sports illustrated magazine cover. (laughs) They do not suffer fools, even very handsome ones. They love without abandon, even in the face of terrible odds. 
because they acknowledge the true feelings of their hearts. So the characters throughout the novel are impassioned and direct and genuine in ways that I think really speak to us. And then they are surrounded by other silly characters, whether it's a Lady Catherine or a Mr. Collins, as comic relief. But again, those characters are real. They, they stop short of being caricatures. And I think it's in that clarity and relatability that we're able to continue to love Jane Austen and her novels and her characters. They still speak to us because in so many ways, they are just like us. We are with... Carol Ann Lloyd-Stanger, presenting the Regency World of Jane Austen coming up October 16th. This is a a complex world, perhaps one that often we don't even recognize the complexities in, but I think this is going to be a great event for all of our audience. There's another great event coming up, and I want to talk a little bit about that with you, too. This is I'm referring now to uh, coming up here in November, you're going to be presenting Victoria from teen queen to matriarch of Europe. That's a a big title. I know this is an impressive person. It's also an an exciting event because it's it's all day. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that and then we'll we'll get we'll get into a little bit about Victoria's world here with you too. Yes. So uh, this year, 2019, is the 200th anniversary of Victoria's birth. Now, when Queen Victoria was born, yes, she was a princess, but she was certainly not first in line to the throne and wasn't considered particularly likely to ever inherit the throne. But things happen as they often do, and at age 18, this very young, inexperienced, untrained girl became Queen of England. And over the next many, many years of her reign, she managed to grow into a role. She spoke many languages. She began to really study the people and the laws and what she needed to do. She had made some good decisions. She made some bad decisions and tried to learn from them. And ultimately, as she married, she chose her husband, married Prince Albert, and as they had children, uh, they were those children and then ultimately grandchildren were married to all of the royal families in Europe. So that by the end of her life, Queen Victoria, Queen of England, was referred to throughout Europe as simply the queen. And so her influence went from a teenage girl to this matriarch of Europe to whom everyone was honoring and reverencing almost as the queen. So it's an extraordinary story. And it will probably take us all day to tell. So that's (laughs) why we're dedicating a day to it. It's going to be a good one. In our tiny family. My wife and I uh, are enjoying the PBS series about Victoria and we're, we're watching all of this. And I think this is just going to be um, a, another one of your fan favorites, uh, I think. <laughs> yes, this is, this is fun. And there is a lot of 
um, interest in Victoria and a lot of people wondering, oh, did they get that right? Did they get that right? And of course, the series, there are things they um, have historically accurate and things they take a little bit of liberty with um, in order to tell a story. So it really is a fun time to be talking about Victoria. We we marvel at this woman because at age 18, she becomes influential. She really starts to have this impact. She's changing England and Europe, and as you say, the queen. And and so how is it that she's able to do all of this and get this done with this this growing influence? It's not all progeny. It's not all just a matter of... Uh, she did have a lot of children, I mm-hmm. understand, but there's more to her than, than that. Well, there is a level of... Um, uh, independent will that was not encouraged when she was a young child growing up, but that she developed during her reign as she rises to the occasion. For example, there were several a time, several times when assassination attempts were made, and um, an early one. Um, the people were shooting at her or people were coming at her. And it was, of course, very frightening, but she took that opportunity to continue in her ride or continue to make public appearances, to continue to be visible in a way that let people know she was, she was the queen. So this, this sense of, duty and dedication and courage really put her out there. She also had some wisdom in sharing herself and her family with the public in ways that were new for the monarchy. There hadn't been really a jolly young royal family for quite a while. And so one of the things that she and Prince Albert did starting in around 1848, was to make Christmas a real family holiday. So for the first time in England, there were Christmas trees, and there were these elaborate decorations, and the royal family with all these children running around, they were sharing images of themselves celebrating Christmas as a family. And so she really plugged into and made herself a touchstone for family life. Now, it's this rarefied, glamorized family life, but still, the connection with her people as as family really resonated. And then, things like, you know, she was 23 years old when she agreed to get on a train and was the first monarch in the world to ride a train. So, She took advantage of opportunities. She had a sense of the people and how she could connect with them. And then she lasted a really, really, really long time and began to really embody that sense of monarchy, modern at that time, monarchy in Britain and throughout the world. Thank you for that. In your research and your expertise, what's your favorite story or or what's the most impressive thing that we may not know about Victoria? Well, I I think it's quite interesting 
I don't know if this is my favorite, but I do find it really interesting mm-hmm. that at the time of her wedding, when she married Prince Albert, it was very common for wedding dresses to be a variety of different colors. And Victoria decided to dress in white. And that was really when the tradition of white wedding dresses started. So when you think now of all of these famous royal weddings we've had lately and all these beautiful white gowns, I'm not sure people really realize that it was Queen Victoria who wanted to show off the lace embroidery and felt that was shown off best in a white gown. And then on her veil, she wore myrtle and orange blossoms. And that also has started a tradition. There's myrtle always in some sense in royal brides now. So I just think that idea of her starting the notion of a white wedding dress is quite fun and a good little tidbit to know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank you for that, too. Carol Ann Lloyd-Stanger, it is always so great to talk to you. I think one of the things that's always so fascinating and wonderful to connect with you on is you're so busy. You're just doing so many great things. We're <laughs> we're trying to compact everything into kind of one interview because it is just a busy time for you. You've got some big news to share with us, though, about an upcoming travel program with Smithsonian. It's a ways off, I know, uh-huh. but maybe you can touch on that a little bit. We'd love to have you come back. You're just a very popular returning guest on the program, but maybe... Give us, a, give us a hint as to what's coming and uh, when and maybe some details that we can put on the calendar. All right. I am so delighted to share that I am going to be joining Smithsonian Journeys as part of my Smithsonian experience. And so in 2020, in August, I will be leading one of the one-week London tours offered by Smithsonian Journeys. And these are really wonderful tours. Uh, They, of course, include um, what you would expect to see in London, like Westminster and the British Museum and the Inns of Court and all those wonderful places, Shakespeare's Globe. But in addition, we are going to take a day and go to Oxford and spend some time there We're also going to take a day and go to Hampton Court in Richmond, walking tour of Richmond, and then go on to Hampton Court. And it really is going to be an exciting, exciting week. And I'm just delighted to have that opportunity in August of 2020. So if you go on (laughs) smithsonianjourneys.org, you can find that tour and get all the details and um, sign right up for it. We will. We're going to put a link up to where you can find out more information about Carol Ann Lloyd-Stanger, as well as the upcoming Smithsonian Journeys uh, tour group that she's going to be leading, her other various programs. Carol Ann Lloyd-Stanger, you're just a popular speaker, popular here on our program. We just appreciate your generous time today and all these great tidbits about the monarchy and, and all things um, British and and uh, Jane Austen and uh, really just some fascinating work that you do. So thank you so much for your time. 
Thank you so much. It was wonderful to be here. My special thanks to Carol Ann Lloyd-Stanger for joining me today. And please check out the Not Old Better Show website for details about Carol Ann Lloyd-Stanger's Smithsonian events. And of course, my thanks always to the wonderful Smithsonian team for all they do to support the show. The Not Old Better Show. Talk about better. Thanks, everybody. 